So still still trucking along with the three body problem series, and I need someone to read it because I'm almost done. Well, I'm like halfway done with the third book. It took a little I'll bit of a you. break um, between it. By break, I mean ten days. I didn't, I didn't read it for like ten days, and I picked it up this weekend, and I'm like about halfway through. It's really good. Like I did not expect the third book to like go in the direction. Actually, I had an inkling. I was kind of right, but um. By, with the end of the second book but i don't know i'm really curious to see where this goes because i think it's gonna be kind of wild but i need i just need to talk about this with somebody uh and is it concluded there will be no more books after this? yeah i'm pretty sure the third book is the final like it says it on the book cover that it's the conclusion to the trilogy so mm, do you remember when they did that for the aragon series they're like oh yeah brazingar is gonna be the last Last book. And then yeah. Inheritance. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, didn't Inheritance come out like 10 years later or something? Something like that, dude. It was wild. It was wild. I never read past the second book. I read <gasps> Aragon and then I read whatever the second one was called. Eldest. Yeah, I don't even remember what happens in these books because I was like 10 when, I, when they came out. Yeah. When we were super young. <laughs> I don't remember anything. Okay, recap, because I do kind of remember. So in Eldest, Aragon basically goes and trains with the uh, the elves, and uh, Murtaugh hatches Thorn, the red dragon, and then they kind of start squaring away a little bit. Damn. I know, right? I don't remember that, but I'll take your word for it. What was, yeah, what's been do. going on with you, Palmer? <laughs> Honestly, not a whole heck of a lot. I know we were kind of just like waiting to hear about the old kickball team, and I was... Particularly pumped about this uh, this playoff run because, truthfully, I have made it to the championships in, like, the last three teams I've been on for this year. And we've always choked. Always. Okay. And I was like, okay, not this time. Not this time. But then the wedding I was going to, which was on a Friday, playoffs were on Thursday. They had, like, a little, like, meet and greet kind of beforehand on Thursday night. And I had to bail out on the game. So, pretty Bummer. sure my team went down. I know. Hate to see it. Hate to you see do it. hate to see that. That's never. That's never fun. Yeah, dude. I was just. I really had a good feeling, and you know what? It is what it is. Although I will say, now that I'm thinking about it, even though that was an L we took, I don't want to hype us up, but I think potentially we single-handedly with this podcast brought an end to the writer strike. So everybody pat yourself on the back. Oh, yeah, you're right. We covered it last week. (laughs) And today the writer's strike ended. They met a deal. I don't think all the details are out. um, But it sounds like they got big dubs. Like from from, like what I've been hearing, they got a lot of big dubs. I think some of them are like, you know, um, they got the AI thing. They got the, uh, uh, oh, God, Um, the minimum amount of writers on a staff. I I saw that. Uh, But yeah, I think there's some of the, like the more details are going to start coming, but that like that happened a couple hours ago. Um, Yeah, dude, isn't that crazy? Pretty wild. Breaking news. I'm sure we can talk about it more once we have more details, but uh, yeah, it's good for them. I I expect SAG to follow suit pretty soon. Now that the writer strike is done. Return of the late night television. Finally. Yeah. Although, could you imagine if the like studios and everything were like, okay, we're going to give them a deal, but mm-hmm. not the actors, so they pit the writers against the actors? Oh, that would actually be kind of crazy. No, they're pretty, you know, they stand in solidarity over there. See what unions can do. A hundred percent. It's the people joined together. Mm. Yep. And, like, it's, it's like, you were seeing, like, people, like, so excited to go back to work, which 
I think is like it's a completely different narrative than some people were pointing, like painting that like oh all these union people they never want to work. Like they clearly yep. do, but they just want to be you know <laughs> compensated Have a for it. One hundred percent, man, one hundred percent. And it's just, I mean. I feel like that's a pretty freaking awesome job to have. So I'm very yeah. happy for them. But as we've said before, like not everybody in that industry is even on a living wage, even if you're kind of starting to break in so that mm-hmm. for those people who, you know, paid their dues and are really trying to make ends meet for their family. Like I'm very, very happy. And hopefully the people who are trying to break through, it becomes a little bit easier for them to just kind of live uh, with uh, the compensation they receive. Yeah. I'm hoping then, you know, this helps a lot more people out. You know that they can actually continue to be what they want to be in writers. So yeah, good news. Definitely great news. I can't believe like we were saying literally last week that this uh, like oh this is gonna end. Um, <laughs> I said in like November. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Turns um, out it was next yeah. week. Yeah, we were a little uh, yeah. a little ambitious with that, but you know uh, I'm glad that we were proven wrong. Yeah, I mean, me too. Oh, man. And with that being said, also just quick, quick confirmation. Back's okay. Life is good. You're doing good, bud. Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, feeling a lot better. I think for the, like, I started feeling a lot better, like, this weekend. Uh, Like, I was, like, super sore, stiff, you know, uh, and, like, some mild pain. Like, most of the pain was gone within, like, a day or two. Um just some mild pain but like yeah now i don't like i'm not allowed to still do a lot of like i have to still have like limited movement and and stuff like that and can't do like any like heavy lifting or whatever but yeah my back doesn't feel stiff or anything i feel like practically normal other than the fact that i have um you know a bandage on my back (laughs) (laughs) but bet you feel better than you did going into the surgery yeah i mean it's just yeah, I definitely feel like my body isn't um, as wound up, I guess. Like, okay. I feel like my muscles are getting back there. Um, but, like, some of, like, the numbness, like, I don't have any pain anymore, which is great. And I was having pain before the surgery, so that's good. Um, modern medicine, dude. Modern, modern medicine. medicine. It's crazy what it can do. Um, 100%. Yeah, and then... Um, but yeah, I still have like some numbness, but they said that's going to take longer to go away. Um, okay. So it's very mild at this point, though, because I have mostly like, I don't know, it is clearly going away. It's like only isolated to a like a part of my toe. So oh, okay. <laughs> like one of my toes. You said your toe? Okay. It used to be like the <laughs> entire half of my right foot. Ah. I couldn't feel at all. Ah. <laughs> so now it's just like a part of one of my toes <laughs> oh okay we're yeah. on the uh we're on the comeback that's good to hear it's good to hear camera just fell oh because mm. it's uh he's gonna lower this a little bit get some slack <clears throat> mm. and speaking of comebacks in addition to your camera, camera picture, picture here we are again for another exciting uh rendition of guess who's coming to dinner so with that bud you ready to dive on in Yes, sir. Uh, I'm all ready to go. For the most part. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Happy fall, y'all, and welcome to the What You Got podcast, where we talk topics A to Z and everything in between. I'm Jordan Palmer, joined, as always, by the incomparable Charlie Bud. 
And today we're finishing a conversation we started some time back in which we picked guests to attend a dinner party. At that time, we were allowed to choose anyone with the one stipulation they had to be living. But for the sake of today, we're changing it up and selecting attendees from the deceased. But <laughs> there are more dead people than living, which really opens this up. You have the first pick of the episode. So what you got? Okay, first person, um, just to double check, we were doing like people who are no longer with us. They are no longer with us. Okay, so my first pick is uh, Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Uh, Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick, yeah, because I really like his films. And he is, um, if you know anything about this guy, he is kind of weird he's an oddball he's a he's like a perfectionist like actual perfectionist not like what people go around saying like oh i'm such a perfectionist in like a joking manner this guy was a you know uh you know a lunatic level perfectionist like he um was famous for making his actors perform one scene like 400 times um until they got it right or till like he thought it was correct um and also he just like wrote some incredibly weird and kind of wacky movies he always just had like that tone i think i think to like space odyssey 2000 like 2001 space odyssey like god just have a conversation with him even though like i've heard he doesn't even like to talk about what it all meant um i would still just want to be like you know i wouldn't go at it in the way where like tell me what that movie was you know i would just want to have a conversation about that movie and like that and like oh maybe less so clockwork orange but i would still i would love to talk about clockwork orange and like um full metal jacket so yeah all you know all the all the greats but uh yeah now he is He's eccentric. <laughs> oh, bro. Okay, so there's a scene in A Clockwork Orange, which I must say is one of my, I, this is bizarre to say, but one of my favorite films just by stylistic choices and just the out there. Like, I mean, dude had a vision for it. But um, basically, there's just a scene where it's a slow zoom in across a pool table. And these people are just sitting down. And there's one guy who just has a series of red balls, like uh, I guess like the ones that you would actually hit. And he's just perfectly rolling them into the side pocket just over and over and over again. And I don't know why I love that, but I just do. It was the most Stanley How many times Kubrick do you thing. think Stanley Kubrick had them do that shot? I I mean, just I'm imagining how hard it would be. It's not too far a distance to roll, but just mm-hmm. to do it repeatedly, easily, easily, tw- and this is very low, 20 at the, at the minimum. <laughs> but um, I, I know, know that, that for like The, the Shining... Shining the scene where I guess um, Jack is like freaking out on Wendy mm-hmm. and she's going up the stairs. He had the actress do that like over a hundred times and she had a nervous breakdown and he was just yelling at her and berating her. And apparently that was a very hostile uh, work environment. So uh... <laughs> I heard he also like in the scene in Clockwork Orange when they do like that break in and do, you know, <laughs> that's Oh yeah. The singing in the rain. Yeah. I heard they did that like, yeah. like, 300 times and they were the actors were not happy um, i would not be happy either goodness <laughs> freaking gracious um yeah so i mean i would also love to talk because like didn't steve uh god stephen king hate um the shining yes, like yes. the stanley cooper so like i would have like i mean 
I probably could find like an interview on like Stanley Kubrick on it, but like I would also just love to talk to him about that and also Eyes Wide Shut, his last movie mm. um, that he made, which you know was uh, bizarre and I think it also played into like some other thing. Like I would ask him about like Lars von Trier, like what he thought about him, because I feel like Stanley Kubrick, if he was still like if he lived like another ten, fifteen years, I I could have seen him move in the direction of being like a Lars von Trier kind of director who makes like these basically like pornographic movies. Ugh. But like, because Stanley yeah. Kubrick has always talked about how he wanted to make movies like that, but with like a list Hollywood stars and I this wide shut was like the closest thing he would have gotten. But um. Yeah, it would have. He would just be a character to talk to. <laughs> he was also actually when he died, he was working on like AI, artificial intelligence, mm. and uh, I think he got halfway through, and Steven Spielberg ended up finishing it out with uh, what is it, Haley Joel Osment? But like, that would be. Uh, I wish I could have seen. I haven't watched it, but could. Wonder seen how much. Vision. Yeah, I wonder how. Uh, yeah, that would have been another great question to ask him. Is like, what do you think of how Steven Spielberg took your movie? Yeah, <laughs> I hated it. That's not my movie anymore. It's not my film. What is this? That hack. Um. <laughs> I'd also like to talk to him about like what he thinks of like some of like the 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 modern directors today, like you know, like yeah. the the PTAs, the um, Denis Villeneuve's, Damien Chazelle's, you know, all those people. Greta Gerwig. I was gonna ask you what you thought about Greta Gerwig. Damien. Um. So. Yeah, be interesting. What was the movie that you first watched of his? Like, what was his first film? I think it was The Shining. I think it was my first ah, exposure, okay, which okay. I think is like his tamest movies. Like when you start going into things like Clockwork, um, <laughs> I mean, Lolita, honestly, his you ever see that? which one? Lolita. No, but I I've heard stories. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, goodness gracious. Yeah, no, that, and I, I love on the list, Doctor Strange Love. I don't know if I've seen that one actually. Oh, um, get on that, it's incredible. Codenamed uh, "How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb." Like, sir, it's just the one, one thing, thing I love about Stanley Kubrick is that he chose a different genre for basically like every movie. So yeah, some that are comedy, some that are drama. You have like war. You have kind of dystopian future. You have like the science fiction in terms of two thousand one: A Space Odyssey, which I'm not gonna lie. A lot of people I know love it. Not particularly enthused. You gotta give it another watch, man. You know, next time we're together, we might just have to like sit down late at night and watch 2001 Days Odyssey. Fine, I'll give it another watch with you. But give it another watch. Sick. That movie is just wild. <laughs> oh, just... Yeah, absolutely. He said, and then House is like Daisy. Mm-hmm. Day. I'm like, this man. What is this I little just, robot? I just can't do that, Dave. People. I'm sorry, Dave. I said, it reminds me of when I'm driving in my car and I'm trying to use my like Google that's connected to the whole car and I'm just like, hey Google, play Helmet by Steve Lacey. And it's like playing, I don't even know, Toxic by Britney Spears. And I'm like, Google, that is not even remotely close to what I asked for. That's what Hal is. That's what Hal is. Yeah. Goodness. Which honestly, like, it's kind of wild like when you look at how early Space Odyssey was made. And like how, like there's like those always those moon like landing conspiracies around like 2001 Space Odyssey and like because it was just like how did Stanley Kubrick know like the moon looked like that? It's just yep, it's kind of wild. And um, I know he was famous for basically creating a lot of the modern tech when it comes to cameras and whatnot, um, mm-hmm. and just some of the rigging things that that are used to get specific shots because, like you said, he was a perfectionist. 
yeah, no, that guy, yeah, you know, that doesn't surprise me, and I'm pretty sure yeah, I knew that. And, like, he has so many iconic shots. If you have not seen 2001 Space Odyssey, and, like, you're, like, you know, that's, like, on the bottom of your, or it's, like, at the top of your list of movies you want, haven't seen yet, and, like, you've watched a lot of movies, you will watch that movie and recognize, like, 30 shots in there. You're going to be, like, this is where they all come from. <laughs> yeah, dude. Seriously, seriously. And the freaking Clockwork Orange beginning when it's just the slow backup from mm. Alex. Bro, that's chef's kiss on that. Goodness gracious. My God, I need to watch Clockwork Orange again. That movie is so good. Ah, oh, goodness gracious, goodness gracious. But any other thoughts on your boy Stanley K? No. Would have loved to pick his brain more. We lost yeah. him too early. Too early. I don't even remember how he was 70 he'd been around obviously like as we get older that sounds not so old but I guess he was around for like some PTA movies because he died in 1999 yeah he actually made it a lot longer than you'd expect yeah true 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 oh man what a guy what a guy guy. all right Palmer Mm. who's at the top of your list top of my list in the same kind of category entertainment Marlon Brando Marlon, I had a feeling it would be Marlon Brando. Did I don't know why. You, did you? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, um, I guess my first introduction to Marlon Brando came in the form of The Godfather Part 1, in which he played Vito Corleone, the quote-unquote Godfather. And what I didn't realize was that he was literally in his early, I think he was 42 when that movie was filmed. Um, so they just made him up, and uh, <laughs> he, he just went on to, to body that role, and I was reintroduced to him i guess back in senior year of high school when we had to read through tennessee williams a streetcar named desire and he played stanley kowalski and famously you know i have the whole scene with stella stella and so uh no i i was just fascinated kind of by his his method he's an actor who studied under a woman by the name of stella adler who actually studied under a very very famous guy who's credited with the um creation of the modern kind of acting method, a guy named Stanislavski. And basically the way actors used to work is they would just stand in front of the stage and just project. But then Stanislavski would like, you know, innovate it. And ultimately he made it uh, a real life scene. So you're actually like acting, interacting, and you're reacting to the energy that your, your scene partner is giving you, which all kind of went down the line. And so uh, Marlon Brando is highly regarded as one of the greatest actors of all time. And I literally had to pick him. I was in between him and somebody else, but I put that other person in my, my honorable mentions list. Um, but they actually crossed over at, at the same time. And honestly, all I wanted to do, Marlon Brando's life was, was very fascinating in that he was obviously an A-list celebrity, but then he was an activist. He was really for um, Native American rights and uh, famously gave back his Oscar that he won for The Godfather, which was his second Oscar and. John Wayne was not quite so enthused. Uh, um, John so he, Wayne. And John Wayne. <laughs> there you go, pilgrims. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no. So, Brando, I just kind of want to talk to him about his life and his views. I'd be so curious. He died, I think, in 04. He was 80. Yeah. I'd be so curious yeah. to see what he thinks about, you know, the world that we, we live in now. Because he was so for the – like, if you, if you watch any of his interviews, especially as he started getting a little older – Bizarre is a word that comes to mind, but like it makes sense. He used to say, you know, I, 
when an interviewer would ask him, I heard you do X, Y, or Z, he's like, you shouldn't believe everything you, you know, you, you hear you, or read. You kind of got to go to the, the information, the source. And so I just kind of want to get his take on things. He was very progressive in his just kind of acceptance of civil rights and other things. And he like marched on Washington. I'm not going to lie. I definitely read his biography, The Contender. Highly recommend it. Um, <laughs> like, I guess a couple summers ago. So he's just a very interesting guy. And uh, I think it, ultimately transcends acting because what he described as his I guess attraction to the profession was that he needed money and he liked the lifestyle that afforded him and he used to literally for the godfather he didn't really even memorize his lines they had people just wearing uh, a series of like poster boards with lines written down and he would just read it off but he's so so talented that it worked so it was uh that's that's my guy right there so how much like have you read you read his biography i did i did i did yeah what would yeah, what no. did you think was like the more most like fascinating thing about his life Ooh, that's a great question um i think just like he i think he felt this sincere weight to help people and uh, he didn't always really know how to like show it. And I'll say he was kind of a, a womanizer, according to the to the biography. I know that uh, he might say I otherwise. See it. But, yeah, he had a lot of kids. Homeboy was. He had eleven kids. Yes, yes, he did. And he literally cared for all of them. He would um, also he had like a series of kids that weren't even his. They were just like the children of people that or women that he was involved with or other people. And he would act and literally just dish out money. There were so many people that were kind of living off of what he was doing and so uh i found that kind of surprising because i hadn't known any of that i thought he was just a guy who you know made some money kind of chilled out but he is also his just kind of humanitarian um ideology and his, his push to basically improve the world was was pretty cool i mean it's refreshing because when you think about someone who's in that position who's considered one of the the top in the industry who's willing to basically throw all that away for you know belief i think that's you know, a morally justified belief. I think that's pretty cool. Do you think part of like your conversation with him would be like, you know, because uh, you want you once wanted to be like an actor. I don't know yeah, if you still yeah, kind of yeah. do. It's kind of there. It's kind of there. It's kind of there and kind of there. Yeah. Like, do you think you know? Has you think any part of like having a conversation with him, like you could use to like you know enlighten your ability to act you know that's a very good question. i think i'd have to ask like one or two apparently he like famously didn't really like to like talk about it he was like anybody could be an actor like it's not hard uh he was says somebody with a natural gift right and he was doing an interview with a guy named dick cavett and um he dick cavett's like you could act like and be a you know you're such a good actor you could do anything and he's like well you could probably and dude's a tv like host uh the cabin so he's like you could probably do a better job with a role like that than i could it's just a matter of you know you act every day you act in everything that you're doing you're not always mm -hmm. feeling a certain way but you project it because you know you have to get through certain things and so i kind of want to see but he does it in such a sincere natural way and he was the first kind of guy to push the bounds of masculinity and kind of show more of a, a soft side especially bruh on the Waterfront, which he won his first Oscar for, one of my all-time favorite movies. But um, there's a, a scene very famous in which he's in a, a taxi with his brother, who's, I also believe, named is Charlie, interestingly. Oh, my God, I'm in the movie. I know. You're in the movie, dude. You're in the movie. And, and aren't they was, from New Jersey? They're from New York, but close enough. Close enough. Oh, I thought they were. That's, 
some I thought they were from or maybe the movie's in New Jersey. It's so, so they're longshoremen. Long I don't know like the geography of uh, New York to Jersey and like where. Oh, they. The, the uh, I just are. googled it. They're new. They are New Jersey longshoremen, so they are at ah. least in New Jersey. They might not necessarily be from New Jersey. <laughs> No, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, perfect, perfect. perfect. See, dude, you know a little thing or two, you know a little thing or two. But in that scene, basically, he's describing to his brother where his life went a mess, and so everybody calls him a bum, and he hates being called that and hearing that. And uh, essentially, his brother was kind of involved in organized crime, and so Marlon Brando is famously a boxer and a good one too. And so one night they decided he had a title fight, and they decided it was better for him to take a fall. And basically, they could collect on the loss. And so he just kind of goes off and he was like, I actually could have beaten that guy. You know, I could have been a contender. And then what happens? He gets a shot outdoors on the ballpark. And what do I get? A one way ticket to Palookaville. So it was just like a very vulnerable moment, but it stands out as probably one of the most iconic in cinema history. And so I'd have, I'd have to probe a little, a little bit. And also just kind of see how he prepared for a role like that. Because. I mean, oh, you don't yeah. necessarily have those life experiences, but you could probably try and draw some parallels. But like, just to do it so authentically, that's impressive. Yeah, I would love to talk to him about like how he would prepare for a role. I know like he apparently doesn't like to talk about acting, but like you just can't help yeah. to pick like a you know a great like that's brain. And also, it'd be interesting to kind of like see how you know he was kind of the first like he was one of the first people to do. Not only like the Stanislavski system of acting, yeah, yeah, yeah. of acting, but he also kind of was the, one of the first people to incorporate method acting. So, which I don't know if that's part of that system or not. I'm it's not familiar not with it. So, yeah, I'm not, not so much. The Stanislavski method is kind of like just drawing, it's like drawing inspiration from the scene. So, it's like if you were to say something like, you know, I hate you. If you said it like that, it'd be like, oh, okay, like cool. But it's if you say like, I hate you, like. Then not, how, 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 how do I react? And just kind of about being natural in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would like to ask him like you know questions regarding how he um, kind of pioneered these methods and like yeah. you know the, his thought process as to like you know even wanting to like move in that direction. I know like I guess he learned the the system from like his teachers, but like with method acting, like you know for someone who says that anybody can be an actor like it'd be really interesting to understand like you know why did you move towards like method acting when nobody was really doing this you know because that really does like like you know that in a way i guess sets you apart because you did go on to become a really great actor and you know how did you like take that system of acting and like make this become such a like a mainstream thing it'd be really interesting to kind of like see his take there yeah dude that's a i swear like like, it's it's so so sad sad when you're like like, you can't get that knowledge Mm -hmm. i think it's it's a reminder of why it's so critical like at this juncture obviously you know we're still working mm-hmm. our way up in certain things but just to kind of record I'm, that so you can pass it on i'm honestly surprised like that information like isn't out there that there isn't like an interview somewhere about like his acting um you know you know i'm sure maybe we dig long enough there might be something that comes <laughs> up but old grainy one. yeah the, the old gran- granny uh the grainy um you know newspaper head like from 1955 time yeah. magazine uh, just stuff like <laughs> exactly, that exactly exactly uh, oh, so man. yeah, yeah no, so that was uh my number, number one, one pick, pick my number one pick but tr- transitioning for you to your number two, who we got? Well, well, hold on. So wait, well, who was your? Oh, yeah. Before we move on to my number two, who? What was your like? Um, 
favorite movie of his? Is it On the Waterfront? Or is it The Godfather? Or is it another film entirely? Oh, gosh. I was, like, really watching through his, his filmography. I really love... Okay. I'd probably have to say The, the Godfather 1, On the Waterfront 2. He has a single film that he directed called One-Eyed Jacks. And um, literally, it's a, it's a fantastic film. Like, it's, it's very good. And apparently, he was really going back and forth with the studio because he had a set a, an ending in his head and they actually filmed it and the studio didn't like it they kind of wanted the traditional Hollywood ending he got so pissed and so he has a director's cut and it's just been lost to time but I would love to find that um, it's a great flick you gotta check it out and anybody listening check it out too it's, it's really good he stars in his movie too yeah he stars in it with um oh my gosh why am I blanking a western Gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When westerns were all the rave. <laughs> that has to be like one of the most dead genres is westerns. I feel like in the modern age. Is it unfortunately? Like I'm not like a huge like I like watching some of the older west old westerns, but I don't know. I feel like it's been kind of done. Like I don't know what else you can really add to westerns these days. But if maybe you can innovate a western, I'd say then you got, got you got some really good in your hands. But I, I think, think it is a hard thing just because, like you said, so you got, got the, the, the bad, bad guy who becomes a good guy. guy. You got the bad guy who's bad. Got the outlaw. Exactly. And John Wayne. Oh man. So yeah, that's uh, that's a hard. But Carl Malden is who was co-starring with him. He was also involved on Waterfront. Have you seen like every Marlon Brando movie? Pretty much, yeah. It's impressive. That's impressive. Thank you. Thank you. I, I was really dying. Although I haven't seen, um, he stars in a film with Val Kilmer. It's based, based off of the, the island of Dr. Moreau, I think I want to say. It's basically about yep, Dr. Moreau. And uh, it's about a guy who's creating these like animal-human hybrids. Yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily the most critically... Uh, well, critically acclaimed movie. Yeah, no, 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 not bad, there's something but, uh, there, though. There's something there. <laughs> there's Sparks and Brando's eyes. You know? <laughs> so, uh, I gotta watch that just to say I knocked it out. Yeah. Gotta watch the good and the bad of the mo- of his 100%. filmography. To make you appreciate the good. That that is true. Bad movies help you appreciate good movies. Thank you, bad movies. What would we do without you? <laughs> Oh, man, I, I can give, give a couple, couple shout-outs to uh, Licorice Pizza. <laughs> Dang, Licorice Pizza's a great movie. I want to watch that movie again. It's good. I'm disgusted and ready to move on <laughs> to your next pick. Okay, my next pick is um, yeah. a, little bit, a little bit silly, but I think it's nope. genuine. Like, it is from a genuine place. Jesus H. Christ. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Because we know he's real. We know he's like a, like a historically a real uh, person. Yes, um, yes. So mostly I would just like, you know, A, I just want to like. <laughs> it's like a mystery, okay? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. Yeah, sorry. Go on, go on. I will tame myself over here. <laughs> I knew, I knew that it was gonna be sound silly, but it's genuinely no, a, it's a good person, okay? Because think about it's it, all right? There's a whole religion based kind of like around him, yes, there you is. know. 
and Christians. you know whether or not yes. he is what you know Christianity in the Bible says he is, I still think it would be kind of really interesting to uh, you know, a learn about his life and kind of why he's become like a like you know a a god in the eyes of yeah. Christianity and like why people you know think this and kind of what he thinks about all of it. Uh, I think it would be a very interesting kind of perspective. Probably would be incredibly confused with, you know, a thousand other things, but we just got to, like, work past those nuances and just get yep. straight to the questions. Um, so what is the first question you're asking, Jesus? <laughs> first question I would ask. Well, you know, I'd probably just, like, work into it and be like, you know, um... You know, you know, just so, tell me kind of about your life, you know, like, you know, it's just... Uh, you know, give me a little bit of what was going on during those times because I'm not a history buff. Um, I don't even know what was going on in the year, you know, that year. <laughs> well, think about it. He died in year zero, basically, because they kind of moved time around him. Well, oh, then they, like, later learned that he actually was kind of born, like, 30 years prior to what we have marked, or, like, he died around, like, 30 years prior to what we have marked as year zero. So like I he, did not know that. yeah, I'm pretty sure like he wasn't actually alive during when we they said he was alive. It's actually a little bit. I I can't remember if it's before or after, um, but I think it's yeah, I think it's before. But either way, so I just want to like you know give me a sense of the time, like you know yeah. the time, like what was going on, like was it true that you were. I, I would have to really study up my Bible knowledge here, but yeah. uh, like you <laughs> know, actually push like a glass of water to him. Hey man, can you uh... turn it into wine? Why were <laughs> why did like why were you killed? You know, um, is God your father? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. You know what's crazy though? Okay, not to change something because this is still related. There was like six people out there who claim to be Jesus right now. And, and they, they got, got mad followers, followers bro. bro. Like, people literally in the Wait, desert. Genuinely? That's <laughs> genuinely. I think there's, like, a Jesus of Russia. There's a Jesus of Brazil. It's like... The Jesus of suburbia. Jesus of suburbia. Green day, green day. I'm totally, like, asking, like, so what do we think about that? Like, those individuals who claim to be... Because that would... I mean, if it was me, I'd be a little upset. But obviously, you know, Jesus is perfect, so... Maybe he has other thoughts there. Um, yeah, that's uh, would, would you, you even broach the topic of the crucifixion, or would we avoid? No, I'd be like, did that happen? <laughs> Stop, Stop laughing! laughing. <laughs> this is serious. <laughs> this is serious. Did did, uh. did that happen? Why did it happen? Um, you know, like because I don't know. Do you? Like you? You seems like somebody yeah. who has their Bible knowledge. You know, oh, if you can educate wow. the you know the the non-religious guy here, uh, yeah, like why exactly was he? At least according to the Bible, was he crucified? Okay, because you know, Son of God. The Romans were like, we don't really like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so ultimately, he was brought in. And there was an opportunity, Pontius Pilate basically was like, you all, a bunch of prisoners are like, we're going to let one go. We all want to let go. And they're like, let Jesus go. But there was another guy named Jesus. And so they let that guy go. And then, um, yeah, he was nailed to the cross and subsequently died. But, but he died, was buried. And then came back a couple days later. And that's what Easter is. 
Absolutely. And that's, that's why it's the you know, holiest day in the uh, Christian religion because it represents basically the overcoming of death and ultimately the bridging between this world and heaven. Yeah. Okay. A little, uh, little Christian knowledge for you there, buddy. And there you go. I've relearned some Sunday school. Um, yeah. Although, although I'm, I'm curious, curious, how do you think he would interact with uh, Stanley Cooper there? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Stanley Kubrick, I'd be more interested to see how Stanley Kubrick would react to Jesus <laughs> rather than the other way around. Okay, yeah, that's, that's a, a good question. question. I, can I can make a movie. movie. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you're perfect. You're perfect. You're perfect. perfect. <laughs> oh, Jesus man. Christ, okay. superstar. <laughs> Literally, that's a whole musical, dude. Mm-hmm. I can see him totally, totally like, like uh, adapting that into a film, renaming it something a little bit more gritty. Getting, like, like a, a, a nice supporting lady to, like, kind of boost it and take some, some, some wild turns. Maybe, maybe have a, an enemy played by William H. Macy, Macy in my head, my head but, you know, it, I'm amenable. I can, I can take somebody else. But, uh, yeah, yeah no, no, dude, okay, okay Jesus. That's, that's a, that's a, I'm not going to lie to you. I was, I was thinking about it as well. I was thinking about it as well, but I felt like, like, I felt like there was a little bit of pressure. pressure. You know, you got the son of God at dinner. Uh, maybe. <laughs> and his last dinner wanna... didn't go too well. No, you know, you're not... <laughs> See, okay, look at you. You got a little Christian knowledge in there, buddy. Good work. Good That's work. because yeah, I just know there's a painting called The Last Supper. Okay, right. right. So actually, actually, a little historical context for you. you. Judas Iscariot, which is why everybody's like the betrayer, like Judas... Mm-hmm. He, he had, had gone to cahoots, that's and that's actually how they ultimately got, got Jesus, because he's like, I'll pick him, him out, and I'll just kiss, kiss him on the cheek. cheek. And so, so Jesus, Jesus knew it was coming. coming. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, Jesus kind of dimed on him, and that's, that's, how, they, that's how they got him. R.I.P. Jesus. I know, yeah, so, uh... It's all good, it's all good. He's he's chilling right now. He's chilling and killing. He died for us. Yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. How do you, do you think, think he'd react? react? Would, Would you, you ask him about his portrayals in popular uh, culture? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, because, like, I would just ask about, I would really honestly just go through, like, the gospel and, like, talk yeah, about, like, yeah. these stories and be like, you know, what's fact, what's fiction, you know, like, why was there this following? Because wasn't he, like, a, he was, like, a preacher? I don't know if he was actually, like, a preacher or not. Um yeah. So he was technically Jewish, but yes. he was basically advocating for what is now modern-day Christianity. And so a lot of, like, Jewish people were kind of in arms because that was controversial. And then just, like, other people were like, this dude's crazy. And, uh, it's crazy. Here we are today. Yeah, I know. Honestly, to be a fly on the wall during those times, just to kind of, like, you know, I, you know, I would like to contrast it with modern day when people go around <laughs> saying, like, some ideology is crazy. You know, Dude. just just how it is. That's just just history. History. The victor is right. History, I guess. You're not wrong, man. Although, have, have you ever seen, what is it, Monty Python's Life of Brian? I don't know if I've seen that one. I've ah, seen a, okay. like one or two Monty Python movies. I don't know which ones I've seen, <laughs> honestly. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's just, just one that's literally about, about the life of Jesus, but... It's, it's about, about a guy named Brian who subsequently crosses over with Jesus a bunch, and they like think that he's Jesus. It's like, I'm not religious, but I mean, it's Monty Python, dude. I remember. Uh, one, okay, I remember the Holy Grail one. I watched that. Yep. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, I can't even. I'm not even lie. I can't even name like anything else. All I know is the Spanish Inquisition. 
Spanish Inquisition. Nobody is a fan of the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, Okay. Okay. All right, Palmer. Who who do you got as number as you know the, uh, next on the list? Okay, okay. my number two. This is uh, unfortunately a rather new entrance-ish to the disease. I guess it's actually been like three years. It's crazy. Kobe Bean Bryant is my second guest. I'm not gonna lie. During his life, you know, you see him, and obviously we were based on the East Coast. You don't necessarily get. As much coverage for a lot of the Western players, and as we all know, he famously played for the Lakers for about 20 years. So I didn't really, I knew of him, like I knew of him, I knew that he was a great basketball player, but I didn't really get a chance to see kind of his interviews, see the whole Mamba mentality. And unfortunately, as is the case, um, when someone passes away, you get flooded with all the interviews and everything they did. And I think uh, the thing that really attracted me to Kobe was just the fact that he was so relentless in kind of his, his working and his, uh, his work ethic. Like, he would wake up at, like, 3 a.m. and get crazy, like, probably, like, three or four practices in a day because he's like, if I'm doing that and everybody else is doing one or two, and then I can rapidly improve and get, like, years ahead of them in just a short time. And he was just famously obsessed with greatness and just being that guy. And so uh, a lot of times people say, like, he emulated Michael Jordan, um, kind of just his style of play, but... You know, you know, he created, created something, something that is constantly referenced, and it's just that, that kind of killer mentality. So, uh, ever, ever since he passed, he actually, I'll say, some, some, some accomplishments. He won, I guess, Olympic gold, gold in 2008 for basketball, and, and he also won an Oscar for his uh, animated short deer basketball, which is about four minutes. And I will admit, I low-key memorized your basketball, and I low-key say in the morning, just as a reminder, like, get after whatever it is that you, uh, you're doing, doing there. There. So, so super, super inspirational, and I kind of want to pick, pick his brain because for someone who's working for something so relentlessly, you're going to constantly see things that other people are achieving and just uh, things that you're, you're passing out on or missing out on because you're just committed to this one thing. And it's kind of precarious in that sometimes you get it and sometimes you don't, but I just kind of wanted to know, I want to know what his, his thought process was. Like, he wasn't... Kobe Bryant. Bryant. He, he didn't, didn't make it. it. We consider, consider his life a success. Would he not? And, and it, was it was kind of the, the balance and the preparation after his time of basketball. Unfortunately, didn't have a whole lot, but just like, how do you evolve beyond something you love that you've done so long? Like, I know a lot of like, from special athletes and other people who ultimately transition and retired. It's different than something that they have just committed to, but he achieved such high marks and other things. Mm-hmm. I'll that. So what was the preparation for the exit like? Um, was it as rewarding as he thought it would be? And then kind of like, I wish I knew what he was planning to do beyond that. Because, I mean, man, a number of talents, and I would love to see kind of what else he did with his life. Unfortunately, it was cut, cut short tragically, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, he, he was, was a fascinating, fascinating individual. And I think, I think Brandon and him would have gotten along. They probably would have joked around a little bit. Uh, and, and I think, think that Brando probably would have been asking him more about himself than uh, kind of giving insights insight into his own life. So, so I think that would be cool to see. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a good, that's a great pick. I mean, you made a good point about like yeah the uh, I'm not, I mean I'm first of all I'm not like you know an avid sports like follower I enjoy okay. watching them but I don't go out of my way to keep up with sports um, so like but like especially being on the East Coast because he was always like 
West Coast player. You know, he's always like on the Lakers. Um, yeah. He, I, you know, like that mania that I would only, I would only kind of like hear about like secondhand. But I would have, I wonder what it would have been like to kind of like be in that presence for him to like be at your home arena all the time, just like, you know knocking it out of the park with the lakers it would have been like kind of yeah. probably a pretty electric uh you know teams on the east coast i honestly i'm not familiar with the nba but i do know that the sixers are not that great <laughs> <laughs> um that much you know i don't really know how good the knicks or the nets are um i feel like the nets are not very good because i was in a meeting at work the other day and someone brought up the ah. nets and they were like it's tragic um yeah, honestly, it's interesting. The Nets, they like, had gotten Kevin Durant, they had Kyrie Irving, and then they had James Harden. Like, so it was supposed to be like a solid team, but just they couldn't get it together, and now all of them are on other teams now. Heck yeah. And they're trying to yeah, figure it out over there. So. Sounds like a coaching issue. I don't know. What do I know? I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, their, their, their coach was Steve Nash, the former player. Oh, player. really? Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. He used to play on the Nets, didn't he, for a long time? Steve Nash. Famously for the Suns, and then I don't know anything. Played with Kobe on the Lakers too, with Dwight Howard. Why did I think he was like a? I did not know Steve Nash played for the Suns. Okay, well, this shows how much I know about sports. Um, Okay. Anyways, what was I gonna say? No, I mean absolutely ever like because Kobe like what year did he retire? Oh, gosh. I want to say, say it was in, it was our senior of college, college so like mm-hmm. 2016. Okay. So, yeah, he, I felt like, was just doing a lot after his uh, retirement. Like, I felt like, you know, when I saw that he, like, won the Oscars, I was like, <laughs> like, whoa, what happened here? <laughs> Kobe? Kobe, Brian? Okay. I was like, I find that really interesting because I feel like a lot of people who, like, retire from, like, professional athletes who retire, they either go, like, they build upon their brand in the sense that, like, you know, maybe they form like some company or, you know, they use their personal all-star fame to just be a spokesperson in commercials for the rest of their life. Looking at you, Peyton Manning. Um, <laughs> and uh, or, you know, they maybe go work and, you know, still within that sphere. Like maybe they're a coach or, you know, a manager, whatever. Uh, I think I thought it was a very interesting that Kobe Bryant chose to do. I mean, maybe there are more act, uh, athletes who do this, but like, you know, he seemed like he was just kind of being like a renaissance man, like a guy just doing kind of a lot of different things. And they were all like unique, at least for a star, like for an athlete with that big of a platform and a, and a name. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And it is tragic that he unfortunately passed at the very, very beginning of 2020. And we couldn't, yeah. uh, um, you know, see where his life would have gone if he continued to do like the things that he set out to do. Absolutely, dude. Dang. And, and it's crazy because like, like I was putting, putting this list together, together and, and honestly, honestly some days you just forget, forget that, that like you know people, people are gone. gone. Like, mm-hmm. It was, it was so, so random when, when he, like, like I, I was in a basketball, basketball like, like at a uh, Maryland women's basketball game. And, and one, one of the dads, dads behind us was looking at the like, oh, Kobe Bryant just died. And we're like, what are you what talking about, dude? Kobe's, Kobe's fine. <laughs> and then just more and more phones started going off. It was, it was like, like the whole sports world, world kind of came to a... Yeah, I, I think I was just at home, like, when I heard about it. It was 
I don't even know, actually. Gosh, where was I? Where was I when Kobe died? <laughs> like, oh, yo, yo. it's freaking, freaking crazy, crazy, dude. Uh, like, it's, it's funny how, like, how, like, how there are moments, moments like, like that, that, that like, like everybody's, everybody's kind of aware of, of and it's like a mm -hmm. flashbulb moment where it's like, man, like, for like a, a day or a couple of days, days, like our collective like, consciousness focus, focus on, on one, one, one event. event. Ah, goodness, goodness. goodness. But, uh, in a more, more positive, positive spin, <laughs> spin. <laughs> who, who, who you who got, got for your, your last, last pick, pick there, Charlie? Charlie? Um, I'd probably have to go with, uh, Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Okay. okay. Prolific sci-fi sci writer. writer. Yes. Break it, it down, down for me, Charlie. Charlie. Why, 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 why PKD? PK, 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 I'm a big fan of science fiction. Um, it's like one of my favorite genres, and I feel like you mostly get really good sci-fi from novels. And like Philip K. Dick was, you know, one of those people that uh, I haven't read every single one of his books. In fact, I've only really read a handful of them. But from the ones I have read. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I like his world building a lot. Um, I like his stories. I think they always have like such unique and kind of like interesting, um, or rather he has very like unique and interesting kind of like takes on uh, like society and like technology often. Um, so it'd be really just fun to like, just kind of talk to him. I probably would, you know, I've, read a lot more i would probably read a lot more of his books but uh you know just one sci-fi nerd to kind of like another talk to him about like his own his own work um especially like you know man in a high castle and like uh do androids dream and electric sheep which is what blade runner is based off of um vastly 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 different if you've read uh, do androids dream of electric sheep versus um like watching Blade Runner, they they are so different. They're not even like comparable. Like to me, the only thing that is really similar is that it's both uh, Deckard. You know, they're both named yeah, yeah, Deckard, yeah. and like I think he is a Blade Runner in the book. Uh, I can't even remember. Like I, I'm like, um, but yeah, I would have like. I mean, I think he worked on the movie, and he was obviously like around for when the that the movie came out so like he probably has like thoughts about it but um i would have liked to see kind of like his you know reaction to how much of an influence that movie had and like maybe his take on like blade runner 2049 i would also like to talk to him about you know current sci-fi novels and like television series that i'm like interested in and like kind of like what his take is on like um you know those things especially three body problem as we oh uh, have discussed I, yeah of course dude it's so good if you haven't read it you gotta read it. It's super good. Um, if you really love, if you really enjoy sci-fi, it's a must-read. Um, okay. And you know, I would also like to talk to him about uh, just like, maybe even like some Isaac Asimov. I mean, he he was around for Asimov, but you know, still, just like to have that conversation. I think yeah. it'd be kind of cool. No, I read uh, "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep" because it is quite short it's only like 200 pages or something um man in high castle is like i don't know like 300 400 it's not terribly long but it's uh you know a little longer than do android's dream of a electric sheep oh yeah so in the book um he's just called a bounty hunter blade like so the whole thing is not even like blade runner was just made up for the movie but like it's the same kind of um premise is that like he's a bounty hunter who goes after uh androids and has to retire them as they say in the book so 
Um, yeah, but like the Which... story, like the basis is the same as the world, right? But it's like the premise, like the stories are, are, are different. Uh, so, yeah. Which, Which did you like, you like better, better, the book or the movie? Well, the thing is, is like I feel like they're different enough. Um, like, yes, the movie is based on the book, but the book is so different from like from a plot standpoint. It's like they share a world, but you're you're like you're in, you're seeing different stories play out. So like they're different enough to me that I don't really have a preference. Um, I enjoy both of them a lot. Uh, um, for their own, like for my own specific reasons, I wouldn't be able to like necessarily pick a favorite though. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And how do you think he can feel about some of the adaptations? Like outside of like, like, like now they've, they've adapted. adapted. Yeah, like, like Castle. Castle. They had, they had what is it, like Minority, Minority Report, Report and some of the other mm-hmm. like um, stories they've written. Do you think he'd be enthused by it, or do you think he'd be against it? That's a great question. I don't know. I feel like. Um, I would actually have a much more interesting conversation about him, like how modern technology kind of has evolved and like some of his, you know, dystopian sci-fi technology is kind of like being, you know, pursued. I remember there was something um, going around like that was everybody was like, this is just the minority report. And like, I forget what technology it was. Um, It was, (laughs) you know, and if you don't know, like minority report is like a, a story about how, um, you know, crime is like predicted before it happens, kind of thing. Uh, and I forget what the technology that everybody was just like, we should not be making this. <laughs> um, so like it'd be really interesting to kind of like see, like, especially the rise of like all these massive tech companies and like the advancement of technology since his death, which I think was in like the 80s. Okay. So he's kind of hasn't really been here since like I think the rise of the information age. And um, it'd be really fascinating to kind of like just see like how technology, like the kind of stories you would probably have. Like, I feel like he was really good at doing a lot of um, social commentary about like the advancement and like the perils of like technology, especially regarding like AI. And um, so it'd be fascinating to just hear him talk about it, his thoughts on everything. Yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy. crazy. I, didn't I didn't realize, realize quite, quite how, how wide I guess his, his influence spans. spans. Uh, Oh, that's kind of hard to say because 2000, he'd only be 23 right now, Palmer. Yeah, I guess he, yeah. Uh, how old was he? Um, he was 53. He was 53. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess one, what, how old is he when his first? 
Mm, you can't begin at 23. That's funny. Why would you look at that? Um, and that which, which started with The Man in the High Castle. Oh. And he followed that up with uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Um, I don't know. I feel like as of right now, he'd just be getting you know started. But I feel like, yes, almost maybe even in a more profound way. Like I feel like he wouldn't obviously write the exact same stories, but I think he would look at um, kind of the current socioeconomic uh, like world before him and how like technology has honestly become only more and more involved in our lives versus to when he was growing up. And I think he would have a lot to say. I think he would, you know, accurately probably predict what like some technological trends, if not, you know, checked, uh, would, you know, go, you know, especially when it comes to things like artificial intelligence, that's become such a, a buzzword in the sense that, you know, people just throw it out there to get people to throw money at them. But um, I think there is definitely advancements in that technology, you know, a lot of like machine learning, neural networks, those are on the rise, um, especially with things with like deep fake technology. I think yeah. he would probably have a lot to say about the terror of a, what a technology like that can do. Um, there's definitely like contemporary, I mean, there's definitely writers today who like will definitely criticize and like comment on that um, in different types of mediums, of course. But um, so that work's already been done. But I think he'd be kind of like very prolific because I felt like he was very insightful for somebody writing during like the 50s and 60s about like how the future would hold. Definitely. And, I'm and I'm wondering, part of me wants, wants to know if he would have done, done a retro, retro like, like almost now he was going, was going into the future, future where he was. was. Mm -hmm. Do you think, Do you think he would have found, found some interesting going, going into the past, past and talking about a, a different, different kind of a universe, universe like a, a parallel universe, universe with a very technological capability focused his, I guess, writing on that particular period of time. That's just, just a question, question that comes to mind. Or would you continue, continue to push, push the future? Because honestly, honestly, at this point in time, time, you can imagine where we're going. And fortunately for us, we have kind of the start of certain threads that will continue to unwind in, 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 in interesting ways. But, but you know, if he, he was, was able, able to manipulate it and said he's a world builder, I wonder where he would have started this out. Yeah, I don't know. Because a lot of his... Like, Man in the High Castle was alternate history. And, oh, right. um, so I feel like he could still kind of like do that. Like if there was something, um, that he like looked back into the past and saw like, what what if this would change? Like how would the world kind of look if, you know, it went to a different direction entirely? Like I wouldn't put that out of the question, but I feel like he often he kind of like took like an idea and put like a twist on it or like maybe you know, looked into the future um, as, you know, how technology trended. And I feel like there's a lot more, as you just mentioned, a, we have like a clearer vision of the trajectory we're kind of on for the next, you know, maybe 10, 15 years. Um, but who's to say like how accurate that's going to be. But like, I feel like it's probably more clear now than it was like in the eighties. So, you know, maybe he can really conjure up something that's um, something like terrifying. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> And, and uh, uh, how do you, how do you think his interaction with, with uh, old Jesus and old Stanley? I mean, I feel like he probably would have 
a really interesting conversation with Stanley Kubrick because I, I I don't know. I honestly don't know Philip K. Dick's like personal life terribly too much, but for some reason I get the vibe that they would kind of like hit it off and like kind of a talk between two very uh, insightful in their own way kind of people. So they were also like, they're like contemporaries in a way, you know, they kind of operated during the same period. So um, they, uh, I feel like they probably have a lot to talk about, you know, um, from uh, like differently, interestingly different perspectives. One a filmmaker, one an author of you know both prolific in their own way, and then I just think they would both have because of the their their work and their life, they'd have like a very interesting interaction with with Jesus. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, indeed. indeed. And, and something, something I, I just discovered was that Philip Dick, Dick was married, married five times. So. Five times, fifty-two. <laughs> that guy's. Uh, he got got, got around, I guess. Right. Couldn't get it right. Oh my god! He was originally yeah. married at twenty. His first marriage was twenty. Divorced the same year. It'd be like, It'd be like that sometimes. sometimes. Marriage then at twenty-two, that yeah, lasted yeah. nine years. We go. So you know, got into thirty-one. Already been married yeah. twice at thirty-one. <laughs> I'm twenty-eight, about to be twenty-nine, and Philip K. Dick would have been almost done with his second marriage. <laughs> um, and then you know he had another marriage the same year that he gets divorced oh. from the second one so at 31 that lasts about 6 years and he makes it God, to 37 and then God, he God, gets divorced again <laughs> at 37 oh. and then he marries the same the next year so at 38 38 this guy's fifth fifth marriage oh and divorced four years later at 42 years old, and then ten, the last 10 years of his life, he did not get married. Or, I think he needed to just do some soul searching. All right, Palmer. We're already at an hour, so. No, I mean, you can take your time with it, absolutely. I'm just saying. Okay. I, uh,. I have, I have a dream, dream for this one. one. By, by that, I mean to segue into my, my final pick. pick. <laughs> being, being the one and only <laughs> Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Oh my gosh. How did I not see uh, that one coming? Yeah, yeah, you see, see I, was, I, was I was quick with it. I was quick with it. But, but um, no, I mean, I was back and forth between a couple. But I mean, I feel like, like MLK is just somebody you gotta, you gotta, you gotta talk to. You, you watch, watch interviews, and the dude, dude is as eloquent as you could imagine. And I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you. Looking, looking back, back on what he had to deal with, you gotta be like, bruh, like him and Jesus would have had a very interesting conversation because he advocated for nonviolence, and it was me. Peace would have been, been kept, kept for about two, two minutes. minutes. So, so respect to you, Dr. <laughs> Dr. King. Um, um, and it's, it's just it's amazing to look, look back at history because King died in April of 68. And he was, he was 39 years old when he died. And it's like, not, not to say we're, we're close to that age, age but we're slowly getting there. there. Think about how prolific you have to be in your life to reach the point that he did at that time. Like, not even 40. And you're doing the thing like... Nothing but, nothing respect. but respect, and obviously, and obviously the, the, the work, work he did, he did you know, continues, continues to influence our lives today, today and it paved the way for so many, so many changes in our society, you know, positive changes, changes so. so. Gotta give him a, a little shout-out, shout out. And, and I think, looking, looking at, at the mix, mix so Marlon Brando, Brando Kobe, and, 
Dr. King. I think it'd be a good, good dinner. dinner. I think it'd be, uh... No, I know Brando, Brando and Mulcahy would probably, probably get along. Kobe would, would probably, probably be vibing with, with him, too. So, uh, I try to, you know, choose, choose based, based on personalities. And I think that, that uh, we were successful there. Who, who, what, would your be, what would your first question be to MLK? Oh, gosh. We got a lot of things we got to talk about. I guess, I guess I'd be like, like um, my, my first, first question would be along the lines, lines of, did you, did you always know that this was something, something you wanted to pursue? You know, some, you know, some people, people just have this passion. Like, early, early, oh, I want to be, be a doctor. doctor I want to be And uh, obviously, uh, obviously the world they lived in was, was very, very different. different. You know, you, you can see just on a daily, daily basis, basis, but for him to literally just keep pushing through, there was a point in time where everybody was like, this dude sucks. Like, we hate him. Like, obviously, we look back, oh, yeah, yeah, he's awesome. But people were like, this man is wild. He's saying non-violence and, you know, he's just a pastor from freaking, what was it, Atlanta, Georgia, Alabama, 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 Alabama. Yeah, wait, he was from... Montgomery, Alabama. Montgomery, Alabama. Alabama. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it was like, like what, abuser, abuser, Baptist, Baptist church, church, church was his church. So, uh, yeah, 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 no. And then, and then he went to school in, in Georgia. But, but um, no, so, so I, I, I just wanted to like, like, he was you, born in Atlanta, Georgia. apparently. But I think he. Let's go, Georgia. Yeah. Oh, oh. There you go. Point to me. But no, I just kind of want to like, did he? And then if he didn't feel like he was drawn to it from the start, like, how did he keep going through all the adversity? Because. He got stabbed. I mean, he, got he got his butt, butt kicked. And then he and then ultimately, ultimately got shot. shot but, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, and, no, it's, and funny. it's funny. Not funny. funny. Um, I guess I towards, towards the end of his life, life like the, the night, night before he was killed, killed he delivers this, this iconic speech where he states, like, I'm going like, to make it to the mountaintop with you, but like we're going to basically get there and assassinate the next day. So, uh, there, there, like, I mean, just, just talk about, talk about people, people who were put, put here for a reason, that dude. dude. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> Once again him him just him on that. But, uh, I would love to absolutely pick it. And it's kind of like, you know, we're not living in a perfect world right now, so you got to ask what his thoughts are on how we can basically ameliorate the situation we find ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. All righty. Would you ask him about today at all? Like, what he would think about well, absolutely. Absolutely. absolutely, yeah, yeah I, would, I would. He'd, he'd be, like, be like, "Where's, where's the breakdown break occurring? occurring? What, what do we do? We do? Just break, just break this speech out for me, and I'll, I'll do my <laughs> best. No promises. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to. I'd have to. Just yeah, he had such a unique perspective, and it's it's interesting. Like you probably talk to your grandparents, but like I feel like the older generations have a very specific way of approaching it. Like obviously now we have. The ability, the ability to, to access, access a crazy, crazy amount of information, information to see what worked, what, what didn't, and then, and then honestly, you have, you have so, so much that can be overloaded, but they just, just were that, that kind of generation, generation to put their, put their nose to the grind, grind got, got it done. done so, so love to see, to see how you approach that. that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although, Although I'm curious, we draw towards the end here. Who was on the honorable mention list for you? For you. Ooh, I never got that far. Um, so okay, okay, okay. I got my three. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of people if I thought about it some more. Um, but what about you? Okay. okay. I had, I had, this was, I was, I was between, between Marlon Brando, Brando and this gentleman, gentleman Sidney Poitier. I only chose Marlon Brando. Oh, Sidney, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and dude, they were going to do a rendition of Othello, of Othello together, together, and they never, never did, and that kills, kills me to this day. day. Um, another, another honorable mention was Alexander Great. Yeah, yeah. I had, I had Walt, Walt Disney. Disney. I had, I had Einstein. Einstein. 
Ooh, Ooh, Einstein would be cool. Hawking, yeah, Stephen right, Hawking right? would be cool too. True, true. true. And then I had, had uh, Rosalind Franklin for the first day, basically discovered DNA, DNA, but ultimately very nice. Just some things. Yeah. Always refreshing to kind of see what what you would pick and the reasoning behind it. Absolutely. Alrighty, Palmer. Well, that's all we got for today. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. This has been the What You Got Podcast, where your host, Charlie Bud, joined with me, as always, is the wonderful Jordan Palmer. You can catch our show every Monday evening. Next week, we haven't really discussed what we're going to talk about next. Maybe we'll talk about the strikes. Maybe we'll give you an update there. Maybe we'll talk about something entirely different. you got to tune in and find out. Be, for, be sure to drop a follow wherever you listen to your podcast. Hit us up on social media. Palmer, you can let them know where they can find us. Absolutely, Absolutely bud. You, you can find us on Instagram, Instagram at What You Got Podcast, which is spelled W H A T C H A, or on Twitter slash X at What You Got Cast, which is spelled the same way. I promise we'll try to, I mean, I'm going to try to get better at the social media thing. I'm just so bad about it. Um, it's a great place to know what's going on with the podcast, catch up on episodes drop and all that things. Reach out to us, communicate to us. Let us know what you want us to hear or want us to talk about, rather. And until next time, please.